Hey everyone, welcome back to the Not Only Farmers podcast. Today is episode number three. Today's episode is sponsored by you, the listener. And the cost of sponsorship is listening, telling a friend, sharing an episode, following along on any of the social platforms, and maybe even writing a review. All these will help grow the show via word of mouth so I can keep doing the podcast for a long time. Each week, I look forward to hearing what takeaways you all have from each of these episodes. It's been super interesting to hear different people's varying insights, often from similar parts of an episode, with very different perspectives. That's one of my favorite things about making these. Even after I release an episode, I keep learning. Let's all keep these conversations going. I really enjoy them. This week, my conversation is with Ben Sauer of Sauer Farming at the base of Mount Hood, right here in Oregon. Ben and I have never met in real life, but it feels like we've known each other for quite a long time. We've been communicating via Instagram for, I'd say, at least six or seven years now, and both of us are pretty avid likers of each other's posts. What I really appreciate most about Ben is his awareness of his limits. In this episode, you'll hear about him pushing those limits, but at the end of the day, he seems to keep those limits in check. Whether that's how he and his wife run their vegetable farm, how he manages his coffee house, works his team of horses, or even plays a gig with his band. The underlying takeaway theme I see is an inner balance check to what he wants versus what he needs. His intentionality is very commendable, and his insights have given way to me having more questions than answers, honestly. So I'll definitely have to have him back on the podcast again in the future. Now, here's my conversation with Ben. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This episode, we're speaking with Ben Sauer of Sauer Farming at the base of Mount Hood in Oregon. How's it going, Ben? It's going good. It's going good. Uh, we are in coming out of winter and uh and we're trying to or i'm trying to get my my sea legs as it were you know <laughs> like we're coming into farming season and i'm kind of i'm kind of struggling to get back into the rhythm of go time yeah this is the transitionary time right now this is usually when we were still farming full on my wife would usually have a talk with me um which was like <laughs> hey uh like a like a pep well, talk. more of like a hey, uh, you kind of need to get in gear here, buddy. <laughs> you know yeah. that kind of thing. So, I like to start these, especially when I'm talking with farmers, uh, just to start out by asking, why farming? Yeah, wow. Um, mostly Wendell Berry and uh, a little bit of Elliot Coleman. Uh, <laughs> as as much as those two guys uh, maybe aren't that cool what? anymore. Oh, they're totally uh, cool. <laughs> okay, I feel like I feel like the old white guys are are not that cool anymore, and uh, those of us that got inspiration from the old white guys are maybe a little sheepish to to admit that. Um, but that's who really spoke to me, um, you know, in my my mid twenties, and uh, I always wanted to do something um, important or meaningful or. I got, I got into farming kind of academically at first, um, reading. I, I always loved gardening and I, uh, was working with someone who had a small CSA and I asked him, I said, what are some books I should read? 
Um, and he loaned me a couple books and I think he suggested Elliot Coleman. And, um, so the new organic grower was like, I was reading that book and just getting so excited. It was blowing my mind. Um, and then I found Wendell Berry a year or two later and he gave me kind of the, maybe the ethic for farming. Um, in the inspiration more than just like Elliot Coleman was kind of the nuts and bolts, the practical side that was really interesting cover cropping and the natural systems. Um, and Wendell Berry gave me, um, more of that kind of like philosophy, uh, behind it. Um, and then while I was reading all these things, my wife and I had just moved to Portland. We're both from hood river and, we got married and she was um, going to finish her degree at Portland state. And so we moved to Portland and um, I was kind of trapped in the city as a small town boy and kind of daydreaming about farming. And it just seemed so romantic. And I remember sitting in, I would go to the, uh, the central library in Portland, um, the downtown library there. And they had, uh, in their periodicals, they had the Small Farms Journal, which is a, a draft-powered oh, yeah. magazine uh, out of Sisters, Oregon. And it was just such this interesting juxtaposition while I'm sitting in downtown Portland in the third floor of the library reading about farming with draft animals. <laughs> and, uh, and so it really kind of took hold um, you know, intellectually, academically at first. Um, and, uh, then when we, when we moved back to Hood River, we both knew we'd, we'd be back to Hood River. Um, we weren't city folks. And, uh, I actually started in the fall before we moved back. I was working in Hood River, um, and we were kind of commuting and it was kind of a weird time for us, but I actually started farming while I was living in Portland still. Um, so anyway, uh, it really started kind of as an academic, uh, intellectual interest, um, and then kind of slowly move into, to reality. For and me. then was there were like, so was there a key moment where you're just like, okay, I'm pulling the plug, I'm going to do this. Or was it just, it just kind of naturally progressed or. Yeah. You know, people always say, how did you start farming? And I always say, I started slowly. Uh, we, we, uh, we had about a quarter acre in someone's backyard and I cold called them. I mean, I knew who they were and I was driving by one day and I saw this unused kind of back half of their property and I called them up and I said, Hey, I want to, I want to farm on it. And they said, okay. Um, and that's how we started. Um, and then the next year I took on another piece of property somewhere else. And we lived in Hood River in town at the time. And then um, we had a, our propagation house on one property. And then we had two other kind of satellite gardens. And then we actually washed all our produce at my brother's house, who was also in town. So we would drive around in my, my little 1989 Toyota pickup. And uh, we did a lot of shuffling and driving around and um 
not efficient at all, but um, that's how we started. And um, when we started, we, we weren't really sure this is what we wanted to do for the rest of our lives, but this is what we were into. Um, and the first year, actually, my brother and I did it. Um, I talked him into starting it with me. And um, after a year, he decided it wasn't really his thing. But then my wife was pretty into it. And so she was, she said, well, I'll do it with you. There's some really cool, uh, old, like pretty old YouTube videos with your brother and you on the farm. I was looking at those the other night. Those were great. (laughs) And I, I love the fact that he, he just always, I mean, you're his brother, but he's like, so tell me about this, bro. It was, it's like really good. So. (laughs) I bet that's embarrassing, but it's probably it's probably yeah. pretty fun. There's some good there's some good stuff out there, man. Honestly, one of my favorite things was coming across the video of your granddad. I thought that was really cool. Just the sheer laughter that he had, it was killer, man. I was just like I was laughing not because I mean the content was hilarious too, but just laughing at his laughter. It was it was really epic. Yeah, he passed away um unfortunately right after we bought our place that we mm-hmm. farm now. Um, and so he actually never saw our farm where it is now, um, and our horses and stuff, which is too bad because he grew up homesteading when he was a kid and he still, he remembered all the, all the horse work and all the equipment. But when he passed away, I looked up all this old footage I had and just so everyone knows what you're talking about, there was a clip where we're all sitting around the dinner table eating ice cream or something after dinner. And, and he was telling us stories and my brother had the. I was always, I'm always a little embarrassed to pull out a camera. Like, I just feel like, eh, let's not right. record everything. But, but my brother often will pull out the camera, and I'm usually glad when he does. So my granddad was saying, um, you know, when, when, you know, we were so, in the winter, it was so cold and dry that our hands would crack. It'd be so chapped. And he said, so, so mom told us to pee on our hands. <laughs> and he's telling us the story, and he's just losing it. And just belly laughing. And of course, we're, you know, as soon as he starts laughing, we're laughing. Yeah. And I, I, I like, I think so you, I, maybe it was you that asked him too. And you're like, well, did it work? And he's like, it sure stung. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, well, burn. <laughs> and then of course, we yeah, all start laughing. No, that was, again. that was great, man. And yeah. so did, did he grow? Uh, so was your family from right there in that whole Hood River area? No, my grandfather, uh, homestead in Eastern oh, Montana. Okay. Um, his dad came over from Russia. They were, they were German Russians, Germans living in Russia. And, um, there's actually a lot that came over, um, in the early 1900s. Um, and they homesteaded in Eastern Montana and his dad died, I think when he was 10 or 12, my grandfather's dad. And so then they had to move to town because it was his mom had like seven kids. And um, so they moved to town, which was, you know, a pretty small town. Um, so he still grew up in that world, but he never actually farmed. Um, he went to World War II and fought and then came back and ended up becoming a bookkeeper. Um, but he still loved he was a fix it guy. He, he really had like a farming mentality in a way like he would have been a great farmer, you know. Wanted to fix everything, um, loved, loved growing stuff. He had a big garden every year, you know, through his eighties, you know, always had a garden. Um, yeah. I think, I think in that gen, 
like that older generation, I think there were more people than not that had that ability still built into them. I think it's only in the last probably two generations that the percentage of people that had that ability kind of has started to dwindle, you know? Yeah. And I think it, it almost like it skipped a generation. Like mm-hmm. I feel like my grandfather and I are a little more like in a lot of ways. Um, like my dad's, you know, he's, he's not a big, um, you know, like the kind of like physical work is not my dad's mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So then, so then you start doing the farming thing and did you keep the slow pace up as far as how you like at what scale you were growing on or, or did you just kind of go for it? So our first year farming, you know, quarter acre going to farmer's market, selling at the community table, uh, maybe a, a couple restaurant accounts, but like, you know, maybe a, a case of something once in a while. I mean, real small scale, but I also worked at, I've been doing coffee my whole life, which we'll probably yeah. come back to talking about. Um, and after that first season of farming, um, the uh, guy I was working for told me he was going to move the coffee shop. He bought another building. And I was like, man, you can't move this location. Like, this is such a good location. This is, you know, where we're at in Hood River. He was kind of the first person that opened a shop that wasn't downtown Hood River. We call it the Heights. And he said, well, I don't want to run two shops. So if you want to buy in, you can buy this one and run this one. And I said, okay. Um, and so going into our second year farming, I also was a new coffee shop owner. Um, and, uh, I think something that Wendell Berry always talks about is don't quit your day job. You know, people always ask him, Oh, do you have advice for new farmers? And he says, don't quit your day job. <laughs> it's hard to make a living farming. So I never have, I still own the coffee shop. Um, and so I think that gave us, um, permission to grow the farm really slowly and not feel like we have to like scale up really fast. And, um, so we're still really small. I mean, we're still like at an acre and a half maybe of, of, uh, you know, cultivated space. So, uh, after four seasons kind of doing the, the town life, driving around for four different properties, making that work, we were able to buy a place up in the upper Valley here about 20 minutes outside of town. And we got a, we were able to get a farm loan. And part of that farm loan is you have to put a kind of a business plan together and show that you're going to pay. They don't really have a percentage, but you're supposed to pay most of your mortgage from farm income because they don't want people using a farm loan, just buying up land. They want to see that people are actually farming the land and and, in a way that's productive. Um, And so we kind of, after we moved up there, you know, part of our business plan was like, okay, we got to kind of scale up a little bit. But even that was a pretty small scale up, you know, it was a pretty modest plan. Um, but my wife and I are both not, um, I mean, we're not entrepreneur in kind of the classic sense where you're always looking for something new. Like we're very, both of us are like managers in a way where we really like to take care of things and kind of grow slowly and not feel overextended. Um, and I've seen people who just go for it, you know, and the first year they're growing a couple acres and they got weeds like crazy. And, you know, we always wanted to keep it very manageable. We, neither of us like to be stressed out and feel overwhelmed. So, um, 
it's been a very kind of slow, slow growth. Yeah, I really like the framework. I, I guess I'd known that you had the coffee shop um, just from the world of Instagram. I'd kind of put it together, but I, not until I really started kind of investigating it the other night. And I started thinking about it. I was like, that framework that you guys have is really neat uh, because you're doing the the work on the land, but you have this other enterprise kind of holding it down for you. And there's something that's something I think about a lot going forward for like what a small farm would be going into the future is like maybe more of us should start thinking about having diversified like enterprise structure, you know, like there's, there's a real strength to that. Um, do you, do you think that that's the case or, or is it only, does it only work because, you know, you, your roots were there and, and so it made accessibility for you a lot easier, I'm assuming just because of networking and all of that. And I, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I think all of the above, I think that, um, I think historically, um, I'll, I don't, I've read percentages. I don't know how true they are, but it's like, historically, most people don't mm -hmm. just farm, you know? Um, I don't know where that stat kind of fits into history, but um, it's, you know, it's a lot of people had the farm and they had some other sorts of income. And I think one of the, um, I don't, know if it, I don't know if like maybe one of the toxic culture farm culture things is that it's kind of a source of pride if you don't have other income and it's kind of like I'm just farming and able to make a living just farming um, and it's almost like it's like you're better than the other people that have to also have a town yep. job which which I get I mean I think that is a we want to make it work we want to make it a you know we want to make it a business that can concede, succeed on its own you know, and like, that's the goal. I think if you can let that go, I think it, it, it allowed us to kind of stick to a lot of our principles, um, and stay small and local and, um, kind of provide the life that we wanted to live. Um, and I feel like if you are not open to other ways of farming, then, um, you know, the, the tail kind of wags the dog and then you're kind of controlled by the farm and how your farm can make money. And if it's not making enough money, then you find ways for it to make money. And then maybe you go down a path that maybe you didn't want to go down. Um, and all of a sudden you're making decisions that when you started, you never thought you would have had to make, you know. I think that's a really good observation because I think it is the pride thing. I mean, I experienced that myself you know where it's not even like i was consciously saying um i have to do only this it was more of like that's just how the social structure was created around farming it's like you have to make your living off of just this and it also drives you towards this like like you have to win or something or or you know one thing that i ended up having to deal with a lot of times and it took me a long time to realize this was I was trying to be more sustainable than the other pe person. And I don't even know who that other person was. And I didn't have a earmark for that. I was just like trying to win the sustainability game. And it's kind of the same, same concept. Sustainable, like, like economically. No, I mean more like, or 
groovier, you know, or like more organic or, you know, like that's how the whole, the whole system has kind of become. And I, I don't know if it's just in America that it's like that, but I, I, I had a, this wake up one day. I was like, wait, why am I trying to implement every single system? Like in the beginning, I was like, okay, if I have my water system like this and my power is completely provided by this and I'm doing this, I'm th this. And you just are on this constant drive to like make everything as groovy and as perfect and as sustainable as you possibly can. You're just, you're still being driven by that same monster, you know? And then I woke up one day mm -hmm. and I was like, I, why am I doing this? Like, I don't even know why I'm trying to win at a winless game, you know? And it, it's, it's kind of that same concept as just trying to prove that you can make it just farming as opposed to, and I'll tell you where it changed for me was when I started having kids because of my priorities changed where I wasn't just in it for me anymore. I was in it for them. And that's when I was like, wait a second, what am I actually trying to do here? And that's whenever I kind of shifted our business model where I like started doing some like consulting and like some um, like amendment sales and soil mix sales and stuff like that was actually starting to supplement. And then it gave me the bandwidth to actually breathe and think a little bit more, you know? And so yeah. like, and a lot of my friends thought I was crazy for starting in another business, but it actually gave me the flexibility <laughs> to do that. So it's something that I've been thinking about for years now is like, man, maybe going forward, like maybe the future farm is, now that we're all interconnected and have internet connections is like, why can't one person have the farm enterprise and somebody else doing work online, you know, or it's like, you're not trying to actually prove anything. You're just trying to make a, a good living, you know? Yeah. And when we started within a few years, um, I knew a lot of people that burned out and couldn't make mm -hmm. it work. And that was one of our, kind of our goals early on was if we're going to do this, I want to do this for a long time. I don't want to hit it hard for five years and then burn out and, and then go work for some giant corporation <laughs> or something, you know? Um, Cause that would just be like a, such a personal failure to mm -hmm. me. <laughs> it would be really hard for me. So um, we wanted to do it in, you know, a sustainable way in the sense that we're able to sustain it, you know? Um, where we weren't going to burn out in five or six years. And um, so that's kind of been something that's always been on the back of our mind. And that's what drove us to get employees finally. And, um, and that's what kind of kept me having the day job as it were. Um, the nice thing about the coffee shop is that at this point, um, my involvement in it is pretty limited. Um, you know, I don't have to, I'm not really behind the bar a lot especially in the growing season. Um, so it, it, it was a good fit for us because I could put more time into the coffee shop in the winter and um, put less time in the summer. And, um, you know, it was a, a flexible enough type of business where while I got the farm going, I also got the coffee shop going. And so, you know, five, six years in, I could kind of, delegate a lot of the responsibilities for the coffee shop to my staff and then I could focus on farming more and um, so anyway I just I guess that's going back to this idea of um, this kind of idealistic idea where 
I'm going to prove to the world that I can make a living farming um, by itself. And um, it, it's, a, it's definitely a tempting pursuit. And I think a lot of people do it, and then a lot of people burn out. There's not a lot of farms here that were here 10 years ago, small veggie farms. Um, what, yeah. do you, what do you think the reason for burnout is? Just scaling too fast or just that the marketplace has changed? Or I think it's personal. I think it's mm-hmm. lifestyle. I think it's um, – I have friends that hit it so hard, and they were working 16 hours a day seven days a week from April through November and relationships failed, marriages failed. Um, I just don't think that it's, I mean, there's some people that can do that for their whole adult lives maybe, but I don't think most people can. And I don't think it's really healthy. Um, and if you're trying to have, if you're trying to have a kid, trying to throw kids into that mix and trying to have a, a healthy marriage, if you're married or partnered, um, it's just hard and I don't it's kind of the it's kind of like you have to be a superhero you know and um, I just don't think it's healthy so then how do we how do we feed the nation then you know like that's the question I always have and 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 I'm not saying that it and I think it's a, the the answer is diversified you know it's not I don't think it's feeding the nation one to five acres at a time. I think that that would be really challenging. I just don't think there's that many people that have the gumption to do that. But do we just, or is it just a bunch of one acre farms and a bunch of thousand acre farms, which is kind of what we have right now, really? (laughs) I'm just always curious about that. Yeah. I mean, I think what I'll say is, um, because I'm not an expert in that stuff, but I think what I'll say is we've built a culture as a world mm-hmm. now, really, where the way we're living our lives are not we're not sustainable environmentally, and so I think we're trying to fit like a square into a circle, right? So we're looking at our culture and our world as it is, and we're saying, "Well, how can we feed the world with what you're saying?" And the answer is, we can't, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like we've built a system that we can't we can't fit our square peg into the circle system. Um, And so I think what my approach has been when people ask me that kind of stuff is I have to do the best that I know how to do where I am. And for me, that's doing what I'm doing. And if there's someone who can kick ass on a hundred acre vegetable farm and not sell their soul and, um, I, I, again, I don't know the percentages, but I think something like half the po- U.S. population lived on a farm 100 years ago. So uh, I don't know if there's any going back, but um, the way we've gone, I think we have to have the industrial agriculture to, to keep going for feeding people, yeah. you know, without a, direct, without a huge culture shift. Um, and maybe someday that will happen, but I think it's going to take some pretty dire uh, events yep. probably. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough question for me right now. I I have a, a pretty 
dismal outlook on humanity at the moment. So maybe we should steer steer clear of these questions. I think that that's one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is start investigating and not come up with the answers, but just start investigating the questions that I think a lot of farmers ask themselves and ask each other when they're hanging out, but then we don't really ever talk about them. Um, just because I think it's, I think it's important to do that. I think it's also important for people that are outside of agriculture to understand how complex it is once you're actually in it, you know, and a lot of people would say, Oh, well, is Chris here calling Ben out for doing what he's doing? No, absolutely not. I'm a hundred percent supportive of everything you're doing. And I think it's a great model, you know, but it's like, there's just so much to it as well. And so I think, I think what you are doing is like a, a model that can be expanded upon. Um, and I don't mean expanded in acreage necessarily, but just expanded upon an idea, you know, and I think that there's something really, really commendable to that. Yeah. And I have, you know, one of our, one of our good friends, um, farm friends here is another couple in the Hooter Valley that grow vegetables and, um, they grow probably twice as much space as us, maybe three times as much. And they don't, they don't double crop maybe as much as we do. Um, but they, they hit it pretty hard. Um, and they don't have another job during the farm season. Um, they do in the winter, but, um, they have a, he's, they're a different personality. They're not as detail oriented. They don't get, it seems like the, the minutia doesn't bug them as much. So they're able just to kind of rise above that and hit it a little harder. Whereas like my wife and I are very into the details and we want things to look really nice. And so I think it's so personality dependent, you know, I think, um, it's, it's so hard to, and this is what I've learned through my farming. Well, through my adult life really is you kind of have this idea and, and maybe it's kind of a, a somewhat, you know, privileged, uh, not because I grew up with money, but because I grew up as a white guy who um, had a great family to lean back on, who was encouraged, you know, growing up. And I kind of thought, well, if anyone, if anyone can do it, I can do it, <laughs> you know, and kind of that confidence, like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. I can do anything. Um, and it took, you know, it took me until my mid to late twenties when I had some pretty serious, uh, uh, mental health challenges when I, that I kind of realized, Oh, I can't do it. I can't just do anything that anyone else has done. <laughs> like I am a, I am a different person. Right. And like, these are my limits as a person. Um, and I can't go work 16 hours by myself every day. Uh, I need more than that in my life. You know, I need social outlets and I need meaningful conversations with people and I need some downtime turns out I really like to do other things besides farming, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Um, So all that to say that I I do think that everyone's farm is going to look different as it should. Um, And what they can do is just so personal, you know, for that person. And I think we try, especially with like the Instagram age (laughs) where you're looking at pictures of someone's farm and you're like, God damn, like, why doesn't my farm look like that? Or, or the other way you look at someone's picture and you're like, Oh, thank God. My farm doesn't look like that. Uh, (laughs) or whatever, you know, we're always comparing ourselves to other people. And, uh, 
so I just think that um, I think it's good to challenge yourself and, and keep pushing yourself in a way where you're I like to strive for excellence in what I do but also I'm a realist at the same time and so um, I think now as I'm in my late 30s I'm kind of like I understand my limits as a person more um, and you know I think still challenge yourself still push yourself still try to be true to that ideal that you got that got you into this thing um, but also understand who you are and um, and try not to burn out because if you stop farming that also doesn't solve anything yeah I mean I, I mean what it says to me is that you've got a really good sense you've got a good eq you know emotional intelligence and and that's really important and that's something that i've stressed to people for years when they're talking about getting into farming and asking questions about that and what are my you know what are what have my personal challenges been and i'm like you really have to know yourself and farming really puts you into that realm of either you really get to know yourself or like some of my friends who never they were always hiding from something and they just hid behind the work then that's when you when you burn out you know and so i think that's something that is a really commendable thing that you have about yourself is that you've recognized you're like oh these are my limits and that's okay yeah and i think i i really have to thank my wife for that because i think um you know i may have been stubborn enough to to just keep hitting that wall <laughs> until I burned out, you know? And I think, uh, I think having a partner who can give you a, a different perspective, um, and who can set some limits for you is really helpful. Yes. I will a hundred percent agree on that one. That's, yeah. that's, that's what a good partnership is all about. So Ben, I really want to know about your horses. I, uh, I, and and the reason why I'll give you a little bit of my backstory is when uh, Melanie and I first started interning on farms, she first interned on this farm in Colorado, and um, I ended up riding my bike from the farm I was interning on in the front range. It was like 19 miles. It was like I, we could do a made-for-TV movie about it. I mean, it could be really dramatic. It was really cool. That was like our courtship, you know, and, and, um, they were farming separate farms miles apart. He rode his bike, you know, like one of those kind of things or something. Um, I love it. and the farm that she was working on, uh, the guy who was the head of the farm, Dave, he worked with draft horses. And so the first year that I would ride up there, then I would see him working with the horses. Well, we ended up managing, the garden of that farm then for two seasons before we got married there. And in that time I got to, um, work with him and, and work with the horses, not as much as I wanted to, because we had to, we had to, you know, manage the five to six acre garden and it just wouldn't have worked for the pace that we were at. Um, but Dave had stacks and stacks and stacks of small farmers journal. Um, and so, I would just take, mm-hmm. you know, years worth of, of the journals down and start reading them. And, and then he had a bunch of teamsters come out and do workshops with him. And I got to interact with that. And it was really, it was really something. And then 
the day that he actually let me drive the team and we had uh two two horses that were um uh Belgian Percheron crosses and then we had the other Ike was I think he was I think he was straight Belgian actually um but the one day we hooked up all three three abreast and then Dave let me drive pulling the disc out in the field and there was that moment and these are the questions I always ask people when I'm interviewing them. Like, do you have those moments, you know? And I, I have this moment like laser etched into my mind and heart forever. There was that moment where it was just me sitting on the disc and those horses were sweating profusely, but they were in the zone, you know, they were in that zone and it was just the breath of the horses and the squeak of the disc going through the field and i i just had it was just that moment of just it, i i can't replace it ever you know it was just it was ecstasy for me and i kind of knew at that time i wasn't going to be farming with horses but it was a place in my heart um so anyway that's the that's kind of like the the painting of then anytime i i see people doing stuff with horses i've always I'm always really like, okay, I really want to hear about this. And Eric and Ann Nordell were real inspirations as far as their farming systems too. So I just yeah. love to hear, Sorry. hear you kind of go off on your experience from the start with your horses. Yeah. So, um, I think Wendell Berry's book, the gift of good land, he, um, he has a chapter about draft power and, um, Again, I read that book while I was living in Portland, I think. And uh, just the way, you know, I just, he, his writing um, hit me in a, in, in a time and a place in my life that really, uh, I don't know if it said it answered a lot of questions, but it spoke to me in, in a special way. Um <clears throat> And um, reading that chapter, I was like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you farm with horses? <laughs> Duh. So um, I went to, um, my friend Naomi had a, has a, had a organic farm supply shop in Portland. Naomi's oh, a yeah. farm supply. <laughs> and uh, I was hanging out there. She had just opened her own shop. And, uh, when I was living in Portland, this was like 13 years ago. And I had mentioned something to her about that. Oh, yeah, I'm reading. And she goes, Oh, you should read the small farms journal. Uh, small, far small yeah, small, farmers yeah, journal. small farmers small journal, farm. mm -hmm. small farmer. I should know. I have a thousand. <laughs> um, and maybe she had one copy sitting there. I can't remember. But then, like I said, you know, I found him in the library of Portland and, um, like you, I just would read all everything that all the articles about uh, market farming could find <clears throat> um, with you know draft power. And I was reading through one of them. There was a letter to the editor, and it was from the Dalles, Oregon, which is just twenty miles east of Hood River. And I said, I'm going to find that person. So I got my phone book. If you remember phone books, <laughs> and I looked through. There was probably five or six people with that same last name. And I called every number until I found the person 
I just, I just cold called them either left a message or they answered, I'd ask. And, um, and I found them and I said, Hey, um, I don't live in Hood River now, but I'm moving back. I'm really interested in, in working with horses. Is there any way I could come out and meet you and maybe learn from you? And, uh, it was an elderly guy who was in his eighties and his wife was the one I talked to. I think she was quite a few years younger. Um, his name was Faye and her name was Regina. And they said, sure, come on out. Let us call it. Give us a call when you move back to Hood River. And so, um, I did. And, uh, I went out there and I don't know how many times, maybe a dozen times. And I never actually drove a team because he didn't think I could, I was ready for it. Um, but I would help him harness and, um, I hadn't been around horses that much in my life. Um, it was all new to me, you know, and, but then there was one day where we worked, uh, he let me drive one of the horses single. Um, and I had driven it kind of around in the barnyard and then just kind of get a feel for it. And then one day we went out and actually, we just like hauled some brush. Um, and when we actually were doing work with that horse, it was just like, hell yes. You know, like this is what it's about. And, uh, Anyway, he ended up passing away, um, but luckily I had made another contact with someone who was closer to us um, in the Hood River Valley, actually, <clears throat> and um, he was a completely different guy, a younger guy, um, not nearly as cautious, and he gave me the lines like day two. He's like, here you go, give it a shot, you know, <laughs> and uh, so then I started working with him a little bit. And then he made hay with horses. He didn't really farm crops, but he uh, cut and raked hay with horses and then he bailed with a tractor. And so um, I, you know, went up there a handful of times and then uh, he's like, okay, you're going to rake hay today. And uh, I had never driven a team by myself. You know, he'd always been there with me. And so he's like, I'll do one lap. You can walk behind me and I'll show you how to do it. And then he got off and he said, all right, it's your turn. <laughs> and uh, that's how I got into it. And um, so, I, we, like I said, we had farmed four years in town. And then we moved to Parkdale, had our own property, and we farmed a year. And then I bought my first team at the end of that year. And um, that the second, my second mentor, Ed, had actually moved during our first year. Right after we moved to Parkdale, he had actually moved. Um, and at that time, Faye, the old, the old timer had passed away. Um, but his wife, Regina was still uh, a good friend of mine and she actually helped me find my first team. And it was an old team of fjords, uh, Norwegian fjords is the breed. And, um, I don't know that they'd ever done much farm work, but, uh, I went out and drove them on the cart with her and, and she said, I think it's a good team for you. And, uh, they were super cheap. They came with a cart and harness and, uh, folks delivered them to me and everything because I didn't have a truck or trailer and that's how I started um so that would have been our fifth the end of our fifth season basically before I got my team of horses so it took a while um you know it took five years basically of of just kind of being patient waiting for the right place in the right time yeah so that's how I got started doing it did they did they take to you know row cropping then pretty pretty quickly or 
No. We we learned yeah. together. Um and they were they're just honorary enough to kind of keep me on my toes and really, you know, teach me a lot. Um, but patient enough that when I made mistakes, they never mm-hmm. ran, you know, they weren't runners. Um, they were pretty safe, even if they were a little honorary. Um, and so I did a lot of things that first year that, you know, you make a lot of mistakes and you do stupid stuff that you probably shouldn't have done, but luckily they were a good team for me and I got away with it and, um, no one got hurt and, uh, yeah, but there's definitely a lot of frustrating, a uh, lot of frustration the first few years, you know, um, we don't, unfortunately, like the Nordells were my like yeah. ideal. Like when we were looking for property, I, want, I was like, I need at least six acres of cultivated land so I can space it all out and do like the extensive garden like they do. Um, but in this, in this area, the land is just hard to come by. It's really yep. expensive. Anything, anything more than a couple acres is probably have it has orchard on it or had orchard um, or hay crops. Um, sometimes and um, it's expensive so we found what we could afford and um, we kind of had to fit the horses into our system so we do um, all of our kind of primary soil cultivation with the team so plow disc harrow um, get the beds ready and then once I, once the field's looking good then we'll um, my final pass is with a road like a bcs with a rototiller and that just levels the bed, gives me a nice straight. I pull a line for each bed, so I have a super straight line. It's exactly four foot on center, because um, we really have to utilize every square foot of our spot that we're on. And um, so the horses don't really get into the fields once the crops are in. Um, I do a little bit of like cultivating with squash or potatoes or some of those wider crops, um, but most of our field looks like kind of your standard you know, two, three, four rows on a four, on a three foot top bed, um, hand tools, that kind of stuff. Um, but if we're done with the bed, often we'll disc it with the horses if we have enough space. Um, and then we'll run, I use like a straddle or cultivator that's set up that we really will kind of just pull the crop up, um, out of the soil. So it can kind of just be on the surface and, and, you know, just kill, dry down on the surface. Um, before we replant. Um, and uh, so that's kind of what the, the horses look like. We spread all of our compost with the horses on the, on the production fields. And then we spread all of our homemade compost that we make on the farm, on the pasture. We have a couple acres of pasture. Um, and we use the horses to spread all of that. So in springtime, we're pretty busy with the horses. And then as we get into the main season, uh, we don't use them a ton. And I noticed that you have a hay elevator. Have you been using that at all? No, um, my mower is still at a, a friend's place that he's supposed to get it running for me, but, uh, that was like four years ago and I need to go down and <laughs> we just haven't scheduled yeah. a time and, um, we don't really have a space on our property to mm-hmm. make hay, um, or to store loose hay, but I, I do want to, I always wanted to do it because I, I want to, there's like certain practices that I want to keep alive that someone yep. knows how to do. And, um, we went to a, we call them a farmer to farmer, um, but it's like a draft horse um, get together in the Northwest with uh, with farms from mostly Washington, Oregon. I think there's one or two from California or Idaho, 
and three years ago, it was kind of right before COVID hit, uh, we were at Ryan Foxley, uh, his place in, in Western Washington, and he does all loose hay for his cattle and all oh, his wow. horses. And they cut it all there, and they have a, a hay loft, and they have a, a grapple that, that takes loose hay off their wagon, and you have another horse that's hooked to a rope and a pulley, and it pulls it up into the loft, and there's someone with another rope that pulls the release and it drops it. I mean, it's the most dreamy yeah. thing in the world for, <laughs> and then, uh, about, a, about a month later, uh, our friend Walt, who, uh, helps facilitate a lot of that was like, Hey, I got this, uh, hay rake for sale or this hay loader and a hay wagon. And I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> so I was, I was pretty, pretty excited about coming off of that comp, uh, that get together and, so I bought it, but I still haven't. That thing's it, so. that thing's awesome though. I was like checking it out the other night, just with the it's got the like the paddle on the front and the lifter, and yeah, it's it's really cool. It's cool. It's a cool piece of machine. Yep. And yep. you gotta. I I really like that idea of just keeping those those ideas alive. You know, I think that's important for somebody to even if you don't use it every single day. You know, just knowing how those things work and that that was a part of agriculture for so long. Well, and it's funny because all the good, the best stuff is from the '40s and '50s because that's kind of the lack. The, up to then, that was the high, the, the pinnacle of horse farming, you know. And we think of it as like, oh, that's so old school. But for horse farming, that yeah. was, that was the the highlight of it. Now, some people argue that with the Amish and stuff, there are more modern implements and stuff yeah. um, made, and and there are, but. Some people would also counter argue that the stuff back then, I think just because of the sheer scale and uh, attention to that technology, because that's what everyone's doing, um, you know, that stuff was like primo. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so amazing. The one that always got me was when farmers would do horse-drawn stuff and then they have a giant motor on top of the implement. I was always thrown off by that. Yeah, the Amish mm -hmm. do that a lot because it allows them to be more productive and efficient with their time. And um, I was out on a, an Amish farm looking at horses about a year and a half ago, and and some of them now use sk uh, skid skids. Oh wow! Um, their whatever their religious sect, because mm -hmm. um, it's not just one Amish congregation. Like there's a bunch of different groups and stuff, <clears throat> denominations, and. Um, and they can decide, like, okay, it's okay for this technology. And because basically this guy was saying they don't have as many people farming right. that they can't just have pay some kids to come muck out their cow stalls every day and yeah. spread it. Um, and so their their uh, religious group said, okay, well, well, we'll let you use a skid steer to basically clean up all the because a lot of them are dairy farmers as well. You know, they're, they do a lot of different stuff, but, um, and that was a huge labor saving thing was being able to use a skid steer to load, um, and collect all the manure to spread in the fields. Um, but the same thing, yeah, they'll use motors on their carts for baling hay or for, um, corn silage. Or they chop it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of that. Yeah. They chop it and, and bale it yep. wet and yep. ferment. Yeah. Yeah, a cool lot equipment. of dairy farmers are doing the that uh, like silage or haylage now. I think, and you mm -hmm. they'll put like yeah. the big covers over them and 
then they go for the fermentation. It's like giant batches of sauerkraut basically for cows. Yeah, and they have it where it's corn and then it all gets covered with plastic. It's like one giant windrow or a couple windrows of, you know, four or five feet tall and 10 feet wide. This this hay row of, or windrow of, um, of this corn silage. Anyway, it's pretty yeah. wild. But, but uh, what, I, what I love about the Amish is that um, the decisions they make, they're trying to preserve their community. And so a lot of people think it's silly. Well, you have an engine on a baler. Why can't you put an engine in a car? Right. You know? But their whole ethic was is that, well, as soon as you put an engine on a car, now you can drive hundreds of miles in a day. Whereas if it's horse powered, you're staying you're staying put yep. basically. And and that's one of the considerations they take. So um, you know, I'm not I'm not Amish and I don't <laughs> I don't want to be Amish, but um that's a cool that's one of the cool things that they've been able to try to maintain their community. Yeah, I think it's I think it's cool to have adaptable dogma, right? I mean there's something there's very <laughs> right, there's yeah. something that's really cool about that. It's like because you know that if you don't adapt in certain ways that it will be more destructive than if you do, you know? Yeah. And then no one farms. So that's their kind of thing is, well, we'd rather have people farming, but using kind of scale appropriate technology. So tell me about being a dad now. Yeah. Um, man, it's a ride. It's a wild ride. It's so fun, but it's a lot of work and, uh, I'm constantly asking people, especially that have multiple kids, I'm like, how do you get anything done? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's just like you get a few hours here and there. And, um, you know, we try to co-parent, um, you know, my wife still does most of spends most of the time with, with our daughter just cause she's still nursing. And, um, you know, just the way our life is, is that, you know, I have two businesses, um, she's, she's a co-owner of the farm and she does a lot of the farming too. Short of like just leaving for eight hours and just letting her do everything, it's like how do you co-parent and and have both parents be able to get stuff done? Um, but man, it's a lot of fun and it's it's crazy. You get these like <clears throat> you just get these periods where you look at your kid and you're like, oh my god, like she is half of me, <laughs> or I'm half of her, or however right. that works. You know what I mean? And it's just wild. It's, it's such a, it's such a crazy reality. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a ton of fun. Um, but yeah, we, I think, man, we must've got so much done <laughs> before we had a kid. You could just come home and be like, okay, I'm going to go farm for five hours or right. something. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll be, for me, it's like, I can't believe it's 2023, you know, like, and then I'm like, man, there's like a decade that just, I don't account for. And I'm always like, where did that decade? Go? Oh, right. I had two kids that were, you know, my boys are 15 and 13 now. So it's very, I think about that first decade and that's really, you, you were just on autopilot, you know, just it was like farming and family and farming and family. And thankfully we had scaled up enough to, be able to have the the flexibility that I could I could hand a lot off to my staff and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we last year um so my daughter is just 15 months. So last year uh was our first year farming 
the kid. And so we hired um, two full-time people and a part-time person. And luckily we had an incredible crew and uh, um, any success last year, I'm like, that's just because we had a, we had a great crew. And uh, I can't imagine getting through a season without a good crew. Um, Especially your first year being a parent. It's just like such a crazy time. But yeah, you're right. I think, I think it's, if you don't have a crew or people you can delegate to, I think it'd be really tough. Um, yeah, it's important. Have you become a, uh, like your management skills over the years? Have you gotten better? Like, do you, is it something you enjoy doing? Yeah. And I was always, I always wanted to have a crew. Um, I'm a fairly social person and I like to teach. Um, and I think having, kind of the coffee shop experience of managing and then owning it and having to manage a staff. Um, I think it definitely made the transition to having staff on the farm a lot easier. I think a lot of people just, they don't even know. They're like, wow, how do I even hire someone? You know? So I think having that background was made everything so much easier. Um, but, you know, looking back at our first couple of years of staff, you know, it's, it's a learning curve and you're trying to figure out how to communicate stuff to your staff. And I always, you know, I'm, I can be pretty long winded <laughs> if, you, if you haven't guessed already. Um, Cause I want my staff to know what I'm thinking so that they can make decisions as well. And I just also think like when I've worked for people, I like to know the process and the thought process of what's going on in the bigger picture. So um, trying to communicate that as well as just the nuts and bolts of what they need to do. Um, and then you, I'm, I'm sure everyone's experienced this too, but you, you tell them, you give them instructions and then they go do it. And you're like, why are you doing it that way? <laughs> and they're like, well, we're just doing what you told us. And you're like, oh, I guess you couldn't read my mind. <laughs> And so then you have to think again, okay, like, how do I say this in a different way? How do I show them? Um, and uh, it's, yeah, that's also a trip. But I, you know, I like it. I think a lot of people far- that do farm, maybe were drawn to farming for like a bit of like solitude or they're more of solitary people. And I think having employees is, is a big challenge for them. Um, but for me, it's, I mean, it's a challenge, but it, it, I like, it, you know what I mean? It's, it's something I enjoy. I, I hope that I've become better. I think I have. Um, and the more I have, have had to delegate, show people how to use a BCS and show people how to direct seed and how to transplant and how to manage irrigation. And, um, I'm still very much on the farm, but um, it's definitely a lot, a lot of delegation now. Yeah, people are always the most interesting part of the farm, for sure. Because they're the ones that change the most, I think. Well, and I think that's how I remember seasons. Is I go, oh, that was a year so-and-so was working for us. And, right. You know, I think it's hard to remember seasons based on the weather or the crops. or <laughs> You know, because that all stuff runs together, yeah. you know. But that's how I keep track of time. It's like, oh, yeah, 2018 was, you know, Stephen and... Well, yep. So, do you do you see a lot of folks that come and then experience the farm, and then go on to just live their lives, or do you have some people that go on to farm, or do you 
you know, keep in touch with a lot of the alumni? I do keep in touch. I try to, um, you know, we really, we really want to have good relationships with our crew. We do kind of everything we can to create a good work environment and, you know, have a good relationship with our staff and it's a small farm and they're, you know, our meeting area is 15 feet out of our back door of our house. And so, you know, they feel like family. And, um, and so we really want to cultivate, you know, that relationship. Um, we always, we also try to have boundaries as well, but, um, so yeah, when people have moved on, um, we haven't had a ton of people move on and start their own farm. We do have one, one employee who's kind of starting their own thing this year who worked for us last year. Yeah. It'd be interesting to hear your experience, but I feel like we've had people who are kind of interested in, in the farming game. Um, but maybe not necessarily wanting to start their own thing. We did have one, one person who I think that was his goal. Um, and then I think after he spent like four seasons with us, he kind of decided like, I don't think this is what I want to do. You know, it's too much. It's too much for what, you know, what he wants his life to look like. Which that's great. I mean, that's great that somebody was able to use yeah. that, that platform. And I think that's what a lot of people should do is, is use the platform to figure out if it is what they want to do or not. Yeah, I'd say probably, I'm just shooting from the hip here, but probably 40% of the people that worked with us over the years have gone on to do something in agriculture. Um, and the others have have some sort of foot in the game, whether they're, I mean, just having that experience under their belt, I think really shapes then how they interact with the rest of the world. Like I, I think farmer's market experience for anybody I think it should almost be mandatory, you know, like if I was, <laughs> if I was the supreme leader or something like that, I think that pushing people into a market situation is really good for people. It really challenges your math skills, challenges your interpersonal skills, hustle skills, all of that. Um, I guess there's a lot of people I wouldn't want working at a farmer's market, but <laughs> you know, I, I just, I love, I loved watching people grow and change throughout the season and their their like confidence in the vegetables and confidence in their themselves change that's the thing that i really enjoyed more than anything was just watching certain people blossom as humans via the the farm life you know yeah last year was our first year having any staff at the mm. market um on a regular basis at least and um and that was, yeah, that was a lot of fun to, to watch. Uh, we we kind of had all of our staff rotate through. Um, and, uh, man, some people are, some people are, they're, 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 they're naturals, yeah. you know? And some people aren't, but you can tell, like you said, they get, they get better at it and they can figure it out. And, and that's kind of like farmers too. Yeah. You know? I know a lot of farmers who are, re who are really good at market. And I know farmers who they're, they're seemingly, not people, people, you know, but it's almost charming in a way, you know, like the grouchy farmer and it, it kind of works for him, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, you kind of have to have the, the different, the different characters at market, the players at the market. You don't want that. You don't want that like, um, homogenous nature with all the characters at market. You want to have the ups and the downs and the person that 
is grumbly, you know? Yeah, it's uh man, yeah, I loved your Instagram post about market oh, a few yeah. weeks back. Um you've been doing your your kind of your his, your historical series you've yep. been doing. And you, you wrote like this beautiful little essay about the farmers market. And um there was a lot of stuff that I could relate to and a lot of stuff I couldn't, you know, like but it's just funny. But I loved hearing your yeah. perspective. And uh anyway, it was just it was great. And I loved how you, you talked about the hustle and you talked about the early mornings and you know, having crazy conversations with employees and crazy conversations with customers yeah. and and the one grumpy old lady who's <laughs> who's just like who's just, you know, holding your feet to the fire on all of your stuff and your prices. Yep. And, but but is also a loyal customer, you know. Yep. I think it was one of our alumni staff made a comment. I think they made a comment about, yeah, just a could I just get a half a cabbage, you know. Yeah, it was interesting um doing that series. It was really good therapy for me cuz I had been MIA for a while and I really missed that online community of farmers. And so I just, the whole blast from the past thing that I was doing was really prompting me to get amped up to do this, start doing this podcast. Cause I was really trying to figure out like now that I'm not actively doing the vegetable farming thing in, anymore, like how can I still stay actively involved with this like pretty good sized community? You know, I mean, a lot of people would be like, oh, you know, you know, thousands of people that follow the account. Well, there's only a hundred or 200 of them that I've interacted with really over the years. But then I started thinking about that. I was like, man, if I had a 150 people in a room, that's a ton of people in a room. And I kind of miss those people, you know? Um, so it was, yeah. it was fun, man. And it was fun. I would sit, I made a, I made a pact with myself that I was going to do it for a month straight. I wasn't going to miss a night. And that was really good. Cause that was kind of like the same kind of like, um, the same kind of drive that the farm itself puts you to, like, you can't skip out on the mm -hmm. farm, you know, it won't let you right. like, if you miss a planting uh, of a succession, you know, then you just miss that planting. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for a month straight and just see how it feels. And dude, it felt it felt really good. And that, that market post was one of those moments where I kind of went flow state Zendo mode. Like I, and afterwards I like read it and I was like, I wrote that, like, that's interesting, but it felt really <laughs> good though too. And so it was, it was awesome to have you respond to that too. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. He, he sees where I'm coming from. So, which was good. Oh, it was, it was, it was great. Yeah. And it's funny because you and me have never talked before besides yeah, social media. No. Not at all. And you were one of the first people, I think, that started commenting on my stuff um, that was like established farm. Like I remember maybe our first greenhouse, our propagation house we put out like the spring of our first huh. season. And I took a picture of it. And I think you commented and you were like, looks great. Oh, interesting. Man. Yeah. And I don't even know how you found me, but probably because I had. I probably asked you a thousand questions on Facebook. Maybe. Yeah. I don't um, e I don't even know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's great. It's one of those things. Like I've, I feel like I've known you for years though. And that's the cool yeah. and weird thing about that whole, that's the good side of the social media. You know, it's like you forge these relationships. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we want to go down that, that trail of social media uh, analysis, but, but yeah, I, I, I 
I think you're right. And like, I remember asking you earthway seating questions and I think, I think that was you and you were telling me how you customize your plates on some yep. props and I ended up doing that. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, um, a way, especially starting out a way to be like, Hey, what are you doing right there? And what do you use for this? And how do you spread your, you know, I think, I think maybe I got a, a fertilizer spreader from your suggestion as well. It was an old a Gandhi. A Gandhi. Yep. Was that the brand? Man, that, yep. that, that was, was another years thing. ago. I asked you, like, I was probably five, six, seven uh-huh. years ago. And I said, what, what is that? And you said, oh, it's a Gandhi. And then I looked it yep. up. And um, for young farmers that just need some basic questions asked. Um, and like in Hood River, there's, it's orchard mm-hmm. territory. You know, there's really, there's really no row crop people. I think everyone at the market has, I think we're one of the senior growers at the market you know? And so, um, it's, it's a pretty new, um, it's for, for market farming. It's a, it's a pretty new, uh, culture here. I mean, of course, you know, it happened way back when it was, um, you know, when people would grow strawberries and asparagus between the, between the pear trees before they were established. But, um, as far as that kind of like market garden thing, um, there's not a lot of people around here to ask questions. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's, that's the great power of the, of the internet. And I think that we're seeing that kind of shift because the reach isn't like it used to be, you know, on Instagram, there's the the algorithm is more funneled now, unless you pay for it kind of thing. And so that's why there's another of the reasons why I'm like trying to recultivate interacting with other farmers is not just for myself. Cause like, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think about how can we all keep connected as that funnel gets tighter and tighter. And I think it's important. Yeah. And I think, you know, I remember getting on Instagram after, you know, blogs Mm -hmm. were a big thing. And when I first got into farming, it was reading everyone's blog and learning a ton and probably your blog. And, um, that's probably how I found you. Um, and all the people in the Willamette Valley and then up in Washington. And then kind of, as everyone got on Instagram, everyone stopped blogging. Um, and then it became very like education. That's, I feel like that's, or that's how it started. I shouldn't say it became, I feel like that's how Instagram started for me. It it started because I wanted to follow farms and see what they were doing and see, like actually see photos of them seeding or them disking or them whatever harvesting. Um, and of course now it's, it's like, so about entertainment, which I guess is maybe what it's always been about, but for kind of from, from like my standpoint, like I got on it because I wanted to look at farms. <laughs> Do you have any ideas about what would be the next iteration for for farmers as far as that connection? Or do you feel like it still happens via Instagram right now? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't get that many people reaching out to me, um, asking me questions. You know, a few people every once in a while. Yeah, I, I don't really mm-hmm. know. I, I don't know if it's because I'm getting old or if because I just... I'm just a enough of a Luddite where I just don't care, right. <laughs> you know, about the technology. Right. It's a great question. You know? Well, a lot of stuff now, a lot of stuff uh, now is just available too, which is interesting. Cause like when, yeah, when I right. started and like you were asking about earthway seeders and like doing, you know, the, the seed plate modifications, stuff like that, that was the part that I, that really jazzed me up about the early years was creating my own stuff. And now there's a lot of companies that have come out that are just making things available, which for better or for worse, I, you know, I'm, I get it. Um, 
but there is that like DIY nature has shifted. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of our, um, one of our staff that's doing her own thing now. I'm like, why don't you just buy this? She's like, well, I don't really have any money. So I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll make something, you know? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's how I started too. Right. Like you couldn't buy the $600 cedar. So you bought the Earthway, and then, you know, you fought with it and you came up with some solutions and then <laughs> you fought on other things like Braska Seed. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you, and then you, you know, finally you bought the Jang or whatever and, and, you know, and then some people start and they have money or they have somehow resources and they buy a bunch of the gear. Yep. But, but yeah, that kind of like home, homespun, do it yourself mentality, I think is what attracts a lot of people to. So I, I really want to hear about, you know, your life out of, out of farming, you know, cause I know that you've mentioned that that's something that really helps you keep your balance, um, in life. Yep. You know, what else makes Ben? Yeah. Ben. Yeah. It's, it's kind of been fun. I, um, man, so we got married. I was, I think I was 25 and besides the coffee shop, um, it was like, all I did was read farming, look at farming online, look at seed catalogs, read Wendell Berry, read all the farm books. (laughs) Um, and then probably, I don't know, maybe six or seven years into it. It was like, I kind of got back into music. Like a friend of mine was like, oh, you should listen to this guy. It's like, okay. Um, and then I got in, that was probably 2000, 2015, 2016. It actually was 2016. So it was probably our sixth season, maybe, or seventh season. And, um, and I just got into music again, just listening. And then that fall, a friend of mine and I kind of started jamming. And I started learning I grew up playing music. So um, my, my mom was a music major in college. And then my, both of my parents, well, my dad was, was a pastor almost my whole life. So I grew up singing and playing in church and then doing music in high school, band and choir. And also I had a band um, through high school and then, and then into my early 20s. Um, so I, was, I, did, I, I wanted to be a rock star, man. That was my thing all through high school. I was like, I'm going to be a rock star. <laughs> I think I was even voted most likely to become a rock star in my yearbook. So <laughs> nice. there you go. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Um, and then I kind of stopped playing and for, you know, like I said, you know, six, seven, eight years. And so I kind of slowly got back into it. Um, and um, it was like, oh, man, this is fun to do something besides think about farming all the time. <laughs> you know, I think those things kind of naturally, if you allow it, I think they kind of naturally play themselves out maybe. Um, I can be kind of an obsessive person um, in, in, a, in a certain way. Um, I like to think that I'm balanced, but I can be pretty, pretty obsessive when I'm, when I'm really into something. So yeah, so I got into music, I ended up starting, my friend and I ended up jamming and started kind of a duo. We started playing shows around, around town in the area. Um, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And um, I did that. And then we ended up putting a full band together. I think in 2000, maybe 2019. Um, and then 2020 hit and, you know, a lot of the live music just basically vanished. Right. Um, we, we ended up, we ended up playing a little bit outside. There were some outside gigs and stuff. Another, like maybe my first love, maybe even before music or right along with music was fly fishing. 
as a kid, I loved to fly fish. And um, I was, again, I was like a super nerd about it, obsessed when I was a kid about it. Um, and then as I kind of got older and, you know, I just did less and less of it. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I think 2020, um, I kind of got back into that and then got super obsessed with that <laughs> and kind of still am. Um, and so those are, it's funny how those things kind of came back into my life, um, things I grew up doing. And um, I remember kind of before I started doing that, my, um, one of my employees, um, we would kind of joke with each other and he, and someone would ask like, what do you do for fun? And I would say, work is fun. <laughs> and, uh, and now I can say that I actually do have things that I do for fun, which I think, I think it is important at the time. I didn't think it was important. I thought I'm into farming. I love it. It's what I want to do. It's how I want to spend my time. I think it's important. Um, but I feel like unless you're just a very unique person, I feel like you got to balance that out with something. Otherwise, eventually, I think it's burnout. Yeah. Um, and then somewhere in there, I also um, got on the board of the Soil and Water Conservation District. Oh yeah. And um, and that's that's not something I spend a whole lot of time doing, but it is kind of a, a nice other way to interact with the community and interact with um, the land and um, and kind of. I, I really am not a fan of meetings and kind of bureaucracy in that world, but um, it does kind of stretch me to do it. And I think um, it is a, a, it's a good perspective to have to kind of expand my, my mind. You well, know? And we need good people in there too. You know, I think that's really important. So anyway, I, I think there's one more thing I do for fun too. I, <laughs> I should have written this. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> what do I do Maybe for I fun? More thing what do. was it? Yeah, there might be one. One more thing that I do. But yeah. Um. I, well, and you know, the thing that I think is really important for people to know and to hear is that what you do in your 20s is not what you do in your 30s, is what you, not what you do in your 40s necessarily, you know? And like that, that's the beauty of being a human is you get to evolve with time. Like I, and recognizing that is super important and knowing, knowing when to shift. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun to kind of like, for me, like to kind of bring these things back in your life now that you're older and a different person. Um, and for me, it's been a lot of fun, you know, like, um, now the music I play is something I would have never played as a kid, you know, like I wanted to play like punk and metal and, you know, like that was what I wanted to do. Heavy stuff, heavy guitar, drums. And, um, and now I'm in like a, like a country, like alt country Americana band, you know, cover band <laughs> playing in bars and, you know, um, playing old country tunes. So, um, yeah, it's just fun. It's just, you know, we, we change, but then we're kind of, we kind of don't change. You right. know, it's, it's kind of a, it's an interesting cycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool, man. Um, so I have a question. Um, I'm trying to figure out the best way. So, I am notorious for if I go to a social event or go to a party or something like that, I am the, um, I think they call it the Irish exit. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it's called. I yeah, Irish, the Irish goodbye. goodbye. That's it. I'm that guy. Um, so I hate saying goodbye to people. And so because of that, I'm recognizing that one of my biggest flaws thus far with doing these podcasts is I, 
I'm horrible at finishing. So I'm decided what I, <laughs> so I've decided what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start asking each guest, how should I finish and see what they say. <laughs> you should come up, you should come up with a, with a little, like a, a, a five question check. Oh, like a lightning round. <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, it doesn't have to be fast maybe, but you know, you kind of, yeah, I don't know either. I think it, it is hard. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts now mm-hmm. too. And um, I always, I, I always, it always feels weird when maybe there's a little lull and then they go, well, thanks yeah. for coming on. And you're like, Oh, that's yeah. it. Exactly. <laughs> like I needed some more, some more uh, closure. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too, is like, if you, if you kind of know the vibe of the specific podcast, you're just like, they'll be deep in it. And you're like, oh my God, they only have three minutes left. You know, like, how are they going to get closure on this? And then it is that it, sometimes it's yeah. off the cliff they go, you know, and you're just like, you can't do that. Right. But right. yeah, I, I think yeah. one of the things that I really want to do is I, I definitely am going to do this concept of circling back with people. So I kind of want to go through a cycle mm-hmm. with people because I think that farmers especially and is it and i'm definitely going to be interviewing people that are not only farmers um like you people just supporting in the industry but i think it would be really interesting to check back with people over time and continue the conversation and i'm hoping that at some point Mm -hmm. i can get enough continuity to this whole thing where i can have people that have been guests that can reach out and say hey this kind of stuff has just happened to me i think it'd be really cool to come back on and kind of like give you the 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 download. Yeah, and I feel like there's so many things you could talk about. It's like, you know, I feel like we could talk for an hour on yep. one thing, you know. And it, it is it is hard to to know like when to say we're yep. done and like did we cover everything? Yeah, it's just it's just bits. And, of, well, uh, and I'm gonna try to keep it. I think I want to. I'm being real meta about all this stuff too, where I'm like talking about it as I'm talking about it, but whatever. Um, <laughs> dude that's the future man none of this none of this uh edited stuff no like, it should just be it should just curated. be conversations and i and i'm like always as i'm driving in the car listening to podcasts during the day i'm like thinking about me listening to the podcast as i'm driving to work or whatever and i'm like oh interesting i could approach it like that you know um this one podcast i was listening to the other day these guys were talking and they're like and honestly somebody's deep in a squat right now as I'm talking about this, whatever, you know, and pushing their personal record, you know? And, uh, I just like, I think that's great. So. Nothing gets you excited to, to lift, like talking about right. farming and, and, uh, I hope somebody's working out right now while they're listening to this. So, uh, well, I guess we'll, I guess we'll just wrap it up there then. If you're, if you're good with cool. it, man, I'm glad you took the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Um, I feel like I'm officially, I've officially made it as a hell. Farmer. Yeah, dude. C- Cause I've been, yeah, on that's the, that's the key. <laughs> when I, when I, when I went on Chris Blanchard's uh, farm to farmer podcast, that was the same feeling oh, for yeah, me. I, remember that. I was just like, Oh my God. It, and then it, you do have that brief moment where you're like, as soon as that podcast goes live, am I just going to get bombarded with emails and DMs and stuff? No. <laughs> no. But nope. 
But uh-huh. through the years, people have said, oh, hey, I heard this part. That was really cool. And then that really means something because then that's a that's a really good way for you to kind of like connect with other humans like and years down the road. And that's really cool. I will say, if I may. Yeah, real quickly, of course. The, the one the one thing that I still remember from that yeah. podcast is that you talked about why you didn't grow strawberries yeah. anymore. And it was because your staff was so sick of picking them. And it seemed like it was always the end of the day, yep. I think you said. And then you just have to go slog through the strawberry harvest. And um, that really stuck with me. And there's a lot of things that that uh, I think about that when we're growing. And I'm like, we don't grow a lot of strawberries. And that's one of the reasons. It's like, I don't think anyone wants yep. to pick them. <laughs> yep. The only way, yeah, the I, only way I'd ever do it is if I had one of those lay down harvest carts, you know. Um, that'd be the only way that I'd even consider it at this point. Yeah. But I just, you know, it's it's amazing the the little bits and pieces that you remember from yep. people and those little bits of, of wisdom that sticks with you. I think that's great. So I'm glad. Awesome, man. We'll catch up soon, man. All, All right. right. Thanks, Take Chris. care.